Hi, we're Ron and Patty Cochran, and here we are here with you again for class number two mm -hmm. in our series of three classes on grieving. Uh, hope that you got a lot out of uh, last week's class. Uh, appreciate the questions that you've been sending to us. Just keep sending those to rcochran.com. And next week's session, our final class, will be answering those questions. So we really look forward to that. Just a little review for last week. We talked about how grieving is biblical. Jesus uh, grieved. We talked about how God is with us during our grief, and it's necessary, and it's healthy to grieve. We talked about how grief is unique to each individual, and it's, it's really in the eye of the person who's grieving. We talked about how it's so important for us to have a good support system, that we're not grieving in isolation. We talked about leaning into your grief, leaning into your pain, and just being totally honest with your feelings, with your emotions, even if some of those emotions aren't too pretty, and how it's just normal to be able to go through times where we're questioning life, where we're even questioning God. So what we want to do during class number two is to talk about unhealthy grieving, to be able to talk about those things that can make grieving harder for us. We also want to talk about how we can grieve in a healthy way, and then we want to end up talking about how to support others when they're grieving. So what we want to do is start out talking about unhealthy grieving. In counseling, uh, these are called cognitive distortions. For those of you who are from Texas, you may call it stinking thinking. But either way, it's those types of thoughts that, that limit us, that make grieving much more difficult than it already is. So we want to talk about that. And Patty's going to start out with distortion number one. Now, the first distortion would be, if I don't grieve, it will go away. And I can distract myself so that I don't have to grieve. I can just keep moving on. So this really doesn't work. And I experienced this um, after a miscarriage when a friend shared with me her grief. And even though her grief had been 15 or more years before this uh, mine, it was like her grief was just as fresh that day, 15 years later, as it was when the day it happened. And my response to her sharing that with me was, if that's what grief is all about, I don't want to go through it. And so I stuffed it and um, refused to do the, the grieving process at that time. And of course, it did catch up with me. Yeah, I just wanted to add in terms of with miscarriages, kind of the husband's perspective. Some husbands are going to, it's going to hit them as hard or close to as hard as um, the, the wife. And then there are other husbands where you didn't carry that baby inside of you. It didn't affect you uh, in your hormones. And, and so you may not be experiencing it quite the same way. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. You don't need to make yourself feel guilty if you're not. Distortion number two, it's when we make hard and fast rules about how we feel grief, grieving should play out. Those are called shoulds. It's when the word should frequently will show up in our conversations. For example, I should be farther along in my grieving, or what's wrong with me? This should not be affecting me. 
to the extent that it is. Sometimes it's the flip side of that, where we may be thinking this should be affecting me more. Or what's wrong with me? I should be crying. I should be sad. What does that say about me that I'm, I'm not? And sometimes it's not what we put on ourselves. It's what other people put on us. And they might be saying, you should be done with this by now. You should be moving on. And we shouldn't limit ourselves to what um, other people are putting on us. Yeah, and as Patty said, those rules, they really limit and impact our thinking, which in turn impacts our feelings. So distortion number three, it's jumping to conclusions, acting as if we are mind readers. Let me explain this. It's very easy for us in times of grieving to be able to jump to conclusions and just think that maybe other people are thinking things about us and how we're handling our grief or, they, or they're saying things about us. Is it possible that we're correct? Yeah, it's possible. But the problem is we start acting as if it's a done deal. People are thinking about us. People are talking about us. And what that does is that makes very challenging grieving much more difficult. We've got to watch our self-talk because the fact is people may not be talking about us. They may not even be thinking negatively about how we are grieving. So why make ourselves miserable? Uh, sometimes I hear from people, well, I'm just very intuitive. I can tell when other people are thinking things like that about me. Well, sometimes uh, maybe we're right and maybe other times we're just wrong. So why get miserable over something that may not be happening? The best thing you can do is work it out in your mind. Pray about it. And if you still can't work through it, just ask the other person. But here's the thing. Don't just start accusing them, all mm -hmm. right? I, I get emails different times about people that will just give a couple pages worth of accusations. And then at the very end, they might ask, well, what do you think about this? Save the other person the the anguish and just ask. Just say something like, you know, I'm, I'm feeling kind of insecure right now. And, and something you said the other night just made me start wondering, are, are you really feeling like I'm uh, overplaying my grief or doing something wrong? Just ask. And then the other person more than likely will say, no, 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 that's not what I intended. I'm so glad that you brought this up. Let me explain what I meant. Or somebody might say, no, I feel great about your grieving, but there was something you said the other night that did kind of concern me. Can we talk about this? And you resolve it so much easier. So just, just ask. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's just uh, good to remember that when we're grieving, our thinking can be very unclear because we're flooded with uh, many emotions. Yeah, and it's possible that we're people may be saying something or not saying something, doing something or not doing something that we just misinterpret. So again, don't accuse, just ask. Okay, distortion number four. That would be misplaced or unnecessary guilt. That would be telling yourself, I'm being weak or I'm being selfish if I give in to this morning. But that is, tends to be our culture, um, puts those expectations on us. But what it does is it causes us to repress the grief and to deny it and it does not bring about healing, which is what we need. So um, crying, is that a sign of weakness? 
I would have to say no because crying is doing the work of mourning and it's releasing internal pressure that allows us to be able to start feeling better. So is it a sin to be angry toward God? I'd like to read Psalm 73, 21 to 22. It says, When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. So it's easy to also start thinking, if I had only said this, if I had only done that, you know, to... We start putting all these expectations on ourselves that we could not follow through on when uh, our loved one was still with us. So um, one of the things that um, I did this when my dad's mother passed away suddenly, and it was about a week after Christmas, and she had at Christmas given me a gift and what kept running through my mind when she had passed away was, I should have told her thank you. Why didn't I tell her thank you for this gift? And honestly, that bothered me for many years that I had not told her thank you. But there wasn't anything that I could do about it at this point. Yeah, and, and so these are, again, they're rules. They're closely related to the, the shoulds, that we should be reacting in a certain way or we should have done something differently. So we've got to watch out for and challenge these distortions because here's the thing. The more we think something, the more we speak that out loud, the more it becomes our reality. Mm -hmm. The more evidence we look for to back up what we're thinking and feeling. And so... We've got to challenge that. Um, in the Amplified Version, Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, For as a man thinks, so he is. Ralph Waldo Emerson, a famous poet, said, We become what we think about all day long. It's important to think about what we think about and to question those things. And when we have unhealthy thinking, we need to be able to replace those thoughts with healthy thinking. Mm -hmm. So what can we do to handle our grief? How can we grieve in a healthy way? Or how can we deal with the distortions in our thinking? I think the first thing is to remember that God is with us. Psalm 73, 23 to 26 says, Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Yeah, and this is, um, we've already had some questions that people have emailed us just asking us, how can we grieve in a healthy way? Right? So. I think for me, with what Patty just shared, I, I try to picture it so Jesus is, is leading me, he's walking in front of me, he's walking at my side, supporting me, whispering words of encouragement, and then he's walking behind me and has my back. And to really remember, God is there. Number two, in terms of what we can do to make sure that we're grieving in a healthy way, is capture your thoughts. 
and replace them with healthy ones. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that seek, sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I mean, what's the knowledge of God? You think about his mercy, his grace, his love. You think about power. You think about hope. And when we're grieving, it's easy for us to start having those types of thoughts that uh, don't coincide with those things, that limit those qualities of God. And so we capture those thoughts. I sort of think of it as we're starting to have those feelings that, uh, towards ourselves, towards our grieving, towards somebody else. And we just, it's like we just reach into our mind and we capture those thoughts. We lay them out in front of us on a table and we take a microscope and we just start objectively as much as possible, we start reviewing those thoughts. We start challenging those thoughts. We don't just accept them at face value. We challenge them. So let me give you a few examples of this. Maybe we've been having the thought like, um, I'm never going to be happy again. I feel miserable and I'm always going to be this way. I can't picture anything ever being different. We examine that thought and we ask ourselves, well, is that really true? Is that correct? And eventually we can replace a thought like that with, you know what, I'm not happy right now. In fact, I'm pretty miserable. It's hard for me to even think of being happy, but I know through the promises of God, with his comfort and his strength, that there will be light at the end of the tunnel and it will get better again. Such a difference in how that affects our feeling and affects our behavior. Second example, Nobody understands me. Nobody can walk in my shoes. Nobody can feel like I'm feeling with this. Well, you, you may be right that a lot of people can't, but I think a more uh, rational thought and more hopeful thought would be, you know, most, most people aren't, aren't going to be able to understand what I'm going through. Most people, they, they just, they don't know. But, you know, there are some who... They, they have walked in these shoes. They have experienced this type of loss and can be a great support and understanding. And replace the thought with, maybe nobody understands, but God understands my grief. Mm-hmm. A third example with this is I'm, I, I'm not able to deal with this. I can't deal with this. I can't stand how I'm feeling. I can't handle this. And a thought like that could be replaced by, I don't like what I'm going through. I don't like it that I had this loss. This is very, very difficult, but I know through the power of God, through the support of other people, that I can confront this transition in my life. Yes, Uh, another way that we can really start moving in a healthy fashion would be to open a window to hope. Hope allows us to start thinking that things can get better, even if they're not right now. You know, our, our grief will begin to be less consuming. You know, we may learn to laugh again. So just opening that window that there's the possibility for uh, life beyond our grief. Yeah, number four, pray and learn to relax yourself because it's very easy to get flooded. Those times when our heart rate is up, when our emotions are so strong, 
we just can't function. We're, we have trouble functioning. We have trouble even thinking. And sometimes it's even hard to pray. And that's why I say pray and calm yourself. Sometimes it just helps to be able to pray to function if we just if we do deep breathing. And while we're doing the deep breathing is we can feel our body relaxing, our emotions coming down to a little bit of a calmer level. It makes it easier to pray to God. Go to a, a place of calming. For me, that's, that's the beach. If I could just think about the beach and imagine the, uh, the sand, imagine looking up at the sky and the waves to be able to smell the smells, to be able to hear the waves, the seagulls, etc. And while I'm imagining that, I'm doing some deep breathing, that helps me to calm down. Uh, progressive muscle relaxation. I don't really have time to go into that right now. You can Google it or you can talk to some of our people that do a lot of yoga and meditation, but that's, uh, that can be very helpful as, uh, as well. Right. I think that it's important to just remember that when we calm our bodies down, we calm our mind, we calm our emotions. So these are very practical ways. Uh, another thing is to recognize your own strengths. You know, and just to be able to start thinking through, what strengths do I have that is going to see me through this? Um, and it's important to remember that everybody does have strengths. And you have uh, used these strengths in other situations. So now it's time to uh, figure out what have I used to help me overcome other situations, what's worked for me, so that I can start moving forward here also. Um, you may need the help of other people. Um, if you can't think clearly what your strengths are, uh, people who are close to you might be able to remind you of what are things that you've used. I think you would agree with me that the more um, issues that go on in life that lead to grieving, the more we go through those, the more resilient we are. Right. And therefore, right. the less likely that we're going to give in to that thought that I just can't stand this. Right. Yeah. So number six, bathe yourself in great memories. When I was uh, retiring from Jefferson Middle School, which was four years ago, and I knew that I was going to really miss people, uh, miss being there, so many great memories. My last uh, 33 days before I retired, matching each year that I'd been in education, I did a Facebook post each day talking about humorous and embarrassing memories during that time. And it was fun for other people to read, but it was just good for me to be able to bathe in those memories, to be able to commemorate them. Um, Facebook, uh, people will uh, make posts to memorialize a loved one that's died. And especially right now, when we're very limited on funerals, just to be able to put a Facebook post on and mm -hmm. say, hey, this is, this is what my grandpa was like. It can be very good. Uh, some people scrapbook uh, and find that very effective. I, I don't do that myself, but I do like to scan pictures onto the cloud of my grandparents, of my parents, and go back and look at those. And it just helps me to be able to think of memories. Um, some people like to really delve into family history. Write that history out. Do genealogies and uh, come up with stories about family. That's very effective. Sometimes it's just it's writing a letter to a loved one who's already passed. It's it's really it's more for you than anything else. Um, sometimes it's 
if you could do that before, of course, that they've died. Uh, I wrote a letter to my parents uh, several years ago, just letting them know, apologizing for some of the things that when I was younger I did and said and ways I treated them. But I also listed a whole bunch of things that I was grateful for that they did. And after my mom died and my sister and I were going through my mom's effects, right there in one of her places of value was that letter that I'd written. So we can't always do that though, or we don't do that when people are alive. So just even writing a letter, getting those things off your heart and expressing those things can be very effective. Family reunions, family traditions, gathering to commemorate in some way or another. Right now it'd have to be through Zoom, but eventually we'll get, be able to get back together in smaller groups. Uh, number seven, be patient with yourselves during the process. When, when you've had a tragedy that occurs, whether it's losing a job or a loved one, your assumptive world has been shattered. And what that means is by assumptive world, there are certain things we just assume are going to happen or not happen on a daily basis. If I go out and I get in the car, I'm going to come back home safely. I'm going to be able to go to work that day and still have a job at the end of the day. Uh, my uh, spouse is going to be faithful to me. And when tragedy occurs, that whole assumptive world, it's just been crashed. Mm -hmm. and, and we're having to restructure all of our world and our thinking. And that's not easy. So we have to be patient with ourselves and not figure this is all going to turn around in a day or a week or even a month. Mm-hmm. So... Um, number eight would be focusing on the positive. It's, before you can focus on the positive, you must allow for the possibility of the positive. So I think that one of my favorite verses would be Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. And it says that, um, that we should think on what is good and right and pure and excellent and noble and trustworthy and that we should practice thinking these things. Now obviously when we are in a grief state we're not thinking these things but the more that we can begin to start thinking of those things again and maybe it's a positive story about someone we love. Maybe it's a quality that they had that we somehow want to um, start living in our own lives. These would be positive ways to take steps towards healing. Yeah, so Patty, we've covered talking about the distortions, the unhealthy grieving, and then we, we talked about specific ways that we can grieve. One of the questions that we received from last week was, are you guys going to talk about how you can support other people mm -hmm. in their grieving? And of course, we intended to do that all along, but now's a good time to be able to start doing that. And then I'm sure we'll get a lot more specific next week as well. Right. So, um, Patty, did you want to start with that or maybe start with a few of the mistakes people make? Sure. Um, I think that one of the mistakes that people make is to give a lot of advice. And that's just not helpful or necessary. When you read through the book of Job, you'll find that Job, um, after he lost everything, um, his 
his livelihood, his family. He, he was sitting there um, just grieving. And he had four friends that came and joined him. And they just sat with him for about a week. And then after that, they started giving all sorts of advice. Well, the advice wasn't helpful, but their presence just sitting there with Job was helpful. So another mistake was thinking that there's one size that fits all. Just because this worked for me in my grief, then it must work for you too. And that's not necessarily the case. Um, one, another mistake would be focusing on your own story. So somebody has lost someone and now they're going to try to comfort them and they'll share a little bit about why they have something in common here. But my experience with that, after my dad passed away, I'd taken a few days off of work and when I went back, my coworkers were all coming up to me to, you know, console me, but they're sharing their own stories and before long they're crying um, and I'm having to comfort them. Um, so that would be something that you want to kind of shy away from. Um, making, not making it all about yourself. Also, relying on other people to tell you what they need. Um, again, they're just flooded with emotions and they don't know what they need. So it'd be a much more helpful to just approach them and say, I'm bringing dinner over so you don't have to worry about it. Or I'm going to take your children for a play date this afternoon so that you can just have some time to yourself. You know, you can think of practical ways and just of how you can help and not rely on them to tell you what they need. So what can we do to help other people in their grieving? Um, number one, be an empathetic listener, and which is quite to the opposite of some of the things Patty was just mentioning with giving advice and, and telling your own story and making mm -hmm. it about you, etc. Being an empathetic listener, what that means is, is that you are trying to clear your mind and you are totally 100% focused on that other person. It means that you're trying to understand where they're coming from. You're trying to walk in their shoes, really. And if you're really listening in an empathetic way, you're probably not going to be distracted by other things. You're just going to be zeroed in on what's being said. You're going to be giving reactions. Mm -hmm. You're going to be validating what the person is saying. Mm -hmm. And you're going to be asking questions to draw that, that person out, showing concern. And that's one of the most powerful things we can right. do. It's the difference between listening with our ears and listening with our hearts. Mm -hmm. And that really does make a difference. Um, another one would be just your presence to be there. I mentioned that with Job's friends, but it really makes a difference. So many people think, well, I don't know what to say. And that's okay because you don't have to say anything. You can just be there. Um, a number of years ago, a friend of mine lost her baby. And uh, I just went to sit with her. And that's all we did, is we just sat and we cried together. Um, but there wasn't a lot of words or anything. It was just simply presence. And she's mentioned that on a number of different occasions of just how helpful that had been to her at that time. 
Yeah. Um, number three, be Jesus to other people. You know, I was thinking that, um, well, Patty was talking just then about being there for people. And, and I was thinking about how Tracy was being Jesus for me. After I was diagnosed uh, almost five years ago with my first kidney disease and the medicine was just kicking my behind, I didn't feel like doing anything. Um, Tracy contacted me and says, hey, bub, because he uses the word bub. He said, hey, bub, can I just come over? We don't have to talk. I know you don't feel probably up to it. Let's just pick out a John Wayne movie, because we both like John Wayne movies, westerns, and let's watch one together. So we did. And Tracy, he didn't have anything to say particularly. He didn't have to. He was just being Jesus with me. You think about Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. It's being able to think about other people the way Jesus does, putting ourselves on the back burner to be able to focus on them, their needs, their interest. Mm -hmm. And I would say bringing them to God's rest. You know, in this world with the troubles and the grief, we don't have rest, but with God we do. Um, Matthew 11, 28 and 29, and Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls. You know, that's where we need to go uh, for our rest, is to be able to um, understand, really, God's love for us and his love for the person that we lost. Yeah. Yeah, number five, bring people food. I mean, the church is so good at that already. Um, after I was diagnosed with the first kidney disease, it was about nine months later that I was diagnosed with the second kidney disease. And during both of those uh, times, I had people from the church, people from where I worked at the Great Jefferson Middle School bring me food, and that's always greatly appreciated. Mm -hmm. It just says I'm thinking about you. I care about you. Number six is, and this is especially uh, appropriate right now, more so than number five, probably. But give people a, a gift card from a restaurant, especially now that delivers, okay? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what a better thing than that. You get to choose what you want to eat and when you want the food. So that's a, that's a great one to do right there. Um, number seven would be to drop off a plant and a card to the house. Just put it by the door for them to see. Uh, and... Um, just recently, I've had a couple of different friends drop off plants for me. Uh, I've had many cards um, after the loss of my sister that um, have just been kind of like a hug. You know, knowing that people were thinking about me, it's felt like a hug. Um, and I've had another friend who made a special picture for me, just reminding me that she's still with me in my heart. I think that's a great point. Mm -hmm. You know, we can also bring a care basket, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so let's say somebody has discovered they've got cancer, they're going through treatments, you know. Just thinking about them, what, what could they use? What could be helpful, you know, to them? And a, and a little care basket, maybe some lotion 
maybe some special tea to settle their stomach, maybe just a, a magazine, you know, or a Sudoku book, you know, something to keep their minds active, um, engaged in something while they're going through treatments. But you can, you can tailor it to the situation and tailor it to the person. Yeah, and I'm probably just staying in contact right now, mm -hmm. don't you think? Mm-hmm. Mailing cards, very, very appropriate. Text messages, you know, um, contact on Zoom or whatever other platforms are out there. Those are also good. Yeah, and I think that uh, how cool it is to be able to get a letter or a card in the mail. Yeah. I mean, because most of the time we go out to the mailbox and it's going to be bills or it's going to yeah. be advertisements. Yeah. But to get something like that, I mean, that just goes above and beyond personal level. And maybe that's one of the things that we're going to recapture a little bit through this uh, COVID crisis that will apply afterwards. Um, last one, number 10, is to offer to, to pray with people. To say, hey, can we pray? I want to share an example of that. The As I mentioned before, the, the, there were two different kidney diseases, two different times I was diagnosed. Uh, when people from Jefferson were bringing food by, uh, one particular teacher, a guy, um, brought food by, and we talked a couple minutes. He said goodbye, left, and I'm starting to put the food away, and then I hear uh, the doorbell ring. And I open the door, and there he is again. And he was kind of embarrassed. He says, you know, I feel a little awkward to ask you this, and um, it's okay if you say no, but I just feel really guilty that I brought the food, left, and never asked you if we could pray together. I know you're going through a lot right now. Could we do that? And I'm like, well, yeah, we can do that. Mm -hmm. And so we prayed together, and I just felt very bonded to him at mm -hmm. that moment when we prayed together. So it's just not an exhaustive list by any ways or means, but here are some things that you can do to support others. Next week, uh, we'll go over more of the uh, answers to your questions, get more specific, and really try to wrap this up. And I hope that this is being helpful to you if you're dealing with grief now or if you're helping somebody else to deal with grief. Also, that it can go into the archives for the church that you can be able to access it in the future. So, hey, thanks for tuning in. Have a great worship service. Goodbye. Bye.